You're about to listen to the Colorado Sports Guys podcast brought to you by the Denver Chop House. The Chop House is located at 19th and Wine Coop. Visit the Chop House before or after a Rockies game or maybe even during, depending on how the team's playing. Belly up to the bar, enjoy a fine brewed craft beer, have a steak, a burger. No matter what you have, go to the Denver Chop House. Tell them the Colorado Sports Guys sent you. They love us. We love you. Now enjoy the show. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up everybody out there on the interwebs? We are once again recording the podcast on location because Ross Martin's still on Baby Watch 2014. At some point, he's going to be having his first child. We don't know when. We are down at the Pepsi Center today with me, as always, the king of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? Um, and we're back at Pepsi Center. I, I'm glad that I made it through the snow, um, which was nice in the middle of May. And uh, we have a guest today, um, Nate. Yeah, as Who Jeff we mentioned, have? we are down here at the Pepsi Center with Nuggets General Manager Tim Conley, the yeah. man that's been very busy the past couple of days <sighs> giving interviews. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Reams and reams of interviews. Frames of interviews. So, Tim, how's how's your off season been treating you? You've only maybe had a couple of weeks here to yourself to maybe digest the season, and yeah, it's been good. I just um, had a long trip to Europe. Got back um, last Tuesday, uh, and that was good. Saw a couple of our guys who we own their rights. Saw a bunch of um, draft eligible guys and some um, free agents as well. So it's it's always good to kind of um, get over there at this point of the season uh, when the games are more meaningful. But it's um, it's been good. Decompress a little bit and watch the playoffs and think about how we can get back there next year. Has it been? Has it been a process of like, uh, just coming from the season and like thinking, okay, I got to get away for a while and you know, kind of get that, like you said, decompress, get, get that, get those thoughts out of your head, so you can kind of look at it from a kind of a less emotional standpoint. Yeah, I think it's helpful. Um, I think it's good to to watch as much basketball as you can when our season's over too, to kind of be brutally honest to see where where we stand against some mm-hmm. of the best teams. So certainly the playoffs. I, should I had a sling box overseas, so they were they were long nights, um, and then it's it's fun to see a different brand of basketball to see what we can learn from um, those guys. You know, a lot of great coaches, a lot of great systems. So it, it was kind of an, uh, I think a, a good transitional period after the season to you know go over there and, and see some hoops. Yep. So what did you see? Where did where specifically did you go in Europe? And and which two guys? Obviously we we know, but you can let you tell us Eric Green and yep. Joffrey. I can't ever pronounce his last name. Yeah, just we'll call him Joffrey L. Joffrey L. Lavernier. Yeah. I've been yeah. taking to calling him King Joffrey. Oh, is that the Game, Game of, of Thrones? Thrones. Game nice. Of Thrones. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, we started in um, Serbia. They had the Adriatic League Final Four, which was fantastic. Um, Joffrey's team actually lost on a buzzer beater, a runner from Nolan Smith by one. Oh, wow. Nolan right. Smith? Yeah, big time game. Big time game. Great atmosphere. Um, from there, went to watch Eric play. Um, Eric played well. I think he had 22 or 20 the game I saw. Um, he's actually just got injured, though, this week. So he'll be out for a couple of weeks with a little sprained knee. He'll be back, hopefully, by the playoffs. Um, and then. Um, I was in Spain for about a week, seeing a bunch of draft guys and free agent guys, and then ended up in a couple games in France. Um, we uh, saw highlights of uh, of Joffrey getting into a little scrape and in, uh, into his games, but you know, I kind of I was talking to Nate about this. I kind of actually 
you know, in, a, in, a, in an interesting kind of way, enjoyed seeing that, you know, mm-hmm. at least in the, the toughness there. Um, was that was that something that would throw up a red flag at all for anybody, or was it just a kind of a spur of the moment thing? No, it, that was, a, I think, a partisan uh, Vezda game, a Red Star game. So yeah. there's, uh, <laughs> there's no love lost between those guys. <laughs> uh, I think if there's not a fight, there's something wrong with the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and certainly... We, you know, we don't encourage violence, but we like, you know, kind of gritty, tough guys who aren't, don't run away from those situations. And I talked to Joffrey about it. He was, he said it was uh, on the wrong end of a lot of saliva from the fans. And, oh, man. Yeah. God. Because <laughs> yeah. even during that, that little fight video, he almost stole a page from Nene where he did like the forehead to forehead kind of, and then it started pushing. Oh, it's Zidane. Oh, he's French, you know. It's, yeah. it's an O to the best French soccer <laughs> player of all time. <laughs> But he, I mean, you got into it. It was almost like him versus like five or six guys. It was, I was like, hey, this guy's tough. Like, this is exactly what these nuggets are going to need, you That's know, it. at that some was, point. That was my thoughts. That was my, yeah. It was like, hey, we need someone. We need someone to do that. As like Doc Rivers calls them agitators, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, I think that, that's, you know, it, anyway, that, that is what was my thought. But did you like um, what you saw as, of his growth as a player? Um, has he advanced to a point where you're like, yeah, this is a great guy for the Nuggets? Yeah, certainly. Um, and he's a guy that when we drafted, we had pretty high expectations for. And um, you know, when you draft an overseas guy and leave him over, there's a there's a bunch of different factors that can play into when you can bring him or when he wants to come. Uh, so we've talked to his uh, representation. We'll we'll continue to talk to him and see when the best time to bring him over. But um, I mean, he's certainly gonna uh, a guy that can play at this level and be productive at this level. And the, the the huge strides he's taken this year, I think, um, are speak well to continued development. Does he project as a center or a or a four? You know, he's six eleven, no shoes. I think he's big enough to play five. I think, as you see right now in the playoffs, it's um, very few teams play two traditional seven footers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he can play both. Um, you know, more, more prototypically, he's probably a four. Okay. Um, but he's big, strong, and he'll he'll do what he has to do on the defensive end. Would he definitely get to play uh, summer league here, or is that something that has to be negotiated as well? Well, as in, you know, he'll be on the French national team, and I think Evan will be on the team this year as well. So those preparations might um, might uh, interfere with the summer league plans. You know, they they obviously won the European Championship last year, so they're pretty excited about the team they're going to field this summer. Um, so we'll see. The dates are still kind of up in the air. Okay. And you got to see Eric Green as well. Yep. Yeah, Eric played very well. They had a, a big win. Um, over uh, Brindisi, another Italian team, and he he scored the ball well. Um, they, you know, he's playing for a very good team. Siena's near the top of the uh, standings in Italy, and uh, I think it's it's helped him playing kind of a more physical brand of basketball. He's playing for a good coach. He's very demanding, um, so he's he's progressed nicely, and um, hopefully he's, he bounces back from injury and Siena can make a run for the Italian title. I was following their coach. I follow him on Twitter. It's Marco Crespin. Yep, Crespi. Crespi. Marco Crespi and. There was even some fans tweeting to him that he should be coach of the year over there. Like, did you know him pretty well when you when you when Eric Green decided that's yep. the team he was going to play for? Yeah, I know Marco. Um, it was important when we're going through the the process of Eric trying to find a kind of a place that we felt comfortable that he was going to get you know good coaching and and the coach kind of had a, a grasp of what we're trying to accomplish as well. Marco worked for the Sun for a couple of years, international scout. Um, he's a really bright guy, real real fiery guy. Yeah. <laughs> Great YouTube clips from Marco. <laughs> um, so I think it, it's worked out well. And, um, again, hopefully uh, he can bounce back from injury and Siena can make a run um, in the next couple of weeks towards the um, Italian championship. Uh, 
it's kind of something that we've talked about a lot as as bloggers is is the development of the developmental league, the mm-hmm. D League. Uh, why was why was Green? Why did he go to Italy versus you know going to like the Iowa Energy? And on the same token, uh, the Iowa Energy no longer the Nuggets affiliate. Then they enter a solo with the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, they'll no longer be our affiliate. Uh, the league hasn't figured out you know how that's all going to shake out. You know, teams that aren't single affiliation either through the hybrid or the um, you know own ownership model. Um, Primarily, two two reasons: money. You make a lot more money overseas. Uh, the D League's a tough job. Um, I think the A level contracts, the the highest paid D League guys, and I'm sure I'm off by a couple grand here, like twenty eight thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, and you, you make pretty good money overseas. It's difficult being a first year guy, but Eric made uh, much more than twenty eight thousand. Um, also, I think some guys would say that the intensity of the D League games, game to game, don't match what you see overseas. Um, it's just hard with the travel and, um, you know, the, the nature of the D-League. It's so transient with the rosters. I think it's not every game maybe is, is a game that the intensity that you'd hope for for development. Uh, so both models are great. I think the, the D-League certainly keeps you a step closer to the NBA and you're call-up eligible. Um, and then overseas, you're, you're getting a lot more money. And um, some would say it's a, it's a more you know, stable, you know, professional day-to-day environment. Do you see a day where the D League is treated like a a more <laughs> professional minor league system, kind of like hockey and uh, Major League Baseball? Yeah, I think I think certainly with the, each additional team that takes ownership or, or again enters in the hybrid model, we we get closer to that mm-hmm. um, relationship. And the D League's done a great job of, of improving improving the product, and I think they have some great coaches down there. So certainly, uh, I think the long term plan, I guess, in the league office would be something more akin to what we know in baseball. Okay. Did you get the sense from Eric that he was homesick at all because he was a Virginia guy, went to college there, yeah. and goes over to Italy away from his family? You know, I saw him the f- I saw him the first time maybe in January, and he was – no, a little earlier. I forgot. My first trip to see him, he was kind of homesick. This time he was driving, stick, going down, you know, <laughs> wrong way, parking on the sidewalk, spoke enough Italian to order food. And he I think he really enjoyed it. Um, his girlfriend was with him, and they really – you know, when you go overseas, I think it's important to embrace the culture. The guys who um, I think get the most out of it, both on and off the court, they, they really are excited about. They I'm living in Italy. It's let me make the most of it. And he, he was, um, I was proud of him this most recent trip. How um, much he had acclimated to the culture and really, he, he went out of his way to try to um, you know become part of the community. It's cool. It's kind of cool to see it the other way too, because we've had obviously Timothy Moskov and Yvonne Fournier when he came in. I remember his rookie press conference; it was hard for him to understand some of the questions and even speak. And now he's completely fluent. It's it's cool to see oh, how yeah. these guys adjust as well. Really neat. Yeah, those guys. Evans a really really bright kid, um, and he picked up the language so quickly. Um, and then now uh, Timo he's kind of played all over, and he, he's um, he's been great. And you know both. I uh, really enjoy Denver and kind of um, it's like Eric did in Siena. They they don't just look at it as a um, as a midway point to play basketball. They've you know embraced the city and they get out and out about in a bunch. I mean, Timo lives in my neighborhood. He's he's one of my um, my dinner dates once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny, and it's I've noticed the same thing. Like I I you follow some of the players on Instagram, and you kind of in that sense you get a but but scope of how they accept the city they live in you know and you know and i think gallo's out all the time around yep. around denver you know he was at the Navs game so was uh ty ty yeah, lawson and, and chandler yeah, yeah. Robinson, yeah yeah 
And it seems like they were really trying to integrate themselves within the community, which I think people really respond to, at least in, you know, in, out here. And I think that that is uh, that's important for someone to feel connected to an athlete. Is like we see you here, you're kind of embracing us and not just jetting out. Sure, like no, that. yeah, it's been neat. I think um, this summer we've had a handful of guys who've never made their residence in Denver, and they're all going to stay here. And it's I think it's a testament to. Uh, the environment Brian's created, and I think it's also testing the city. I mean, the city's just so beautiful, and there's so many options in the summer. Except, except for today. <laughs> yeah, except for today. <laughs> oh, a couple of the guys we acquired, you know, uh, Darrell or Randy, and those guys I think have been, um, quite frankly, shocked how much they like it here. You know, it's, it's just a really, really nice city. The fans are amazing, and there's a lot to do. And I think a, a couple of the guys, again, they, their first year spent here are, are – been very pleasantly surprised all right uh health update time we've got a series of uh, knee injured players uh what uh knee, knee injured <laughs> that's players. the best way you just group them all in this in one player i mean is uh, what's the status uh, i mean maybe not the status but is there a projection that some of them will be ready at the beginning of the season or mid-season no i think all of them will be ready at the uh, beginning of the season okay. um i mean jj was the last one to get cut um so certainly i'll leave it up to um our medical people to see you know how how full bore it can go when we enter training camp. I don't think the other guys will have any concerns about. Um, JaVale's has the shortest rehab time. I think we, he'll be um, released in the near future. Um, if there was a, you know, obviously the Gallo situation was unique. Uh, the silver lining potentially was that he had done so much strengthening of the of both legs um, that his rehab has been expedited. And I don't think I'll have any issues with him. And Nate, shoot, Nate's probably playing right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're playing somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You just knew, too, with Nate, I've just said it all along, like he's so strong that I didn't think it was really going to affect him that much because his legs are so strong. He's built like. like a tree trunk. Well, it's, it's interesting to go into that. Um, we have too many guys in the training room, obviously, but it's, they've become pretty competitive with it. And Nate's leading that charge, as you can imagine. Yeah. You know, so if, <laughs> I, you know, if one guy has this much flexion and Nate has more, he lets him hear about it. Yeah. We went through a couple weeks ago on our podcast, we were talking about all the coaching changes in the NBA. And, you know, there's so many last year and this year, it looks like there's going to be, you know, it's going to be over 60% of new coaches last year and this year or something like that in the league, which is crazy to think. Uh, you see the Warriors job open up. We have, you know, Steve Kerr is kind of a hot name now, but then, we have the Knicks with Phil Jackson, and there was maybe some hot water around Frank Vogel with, with Indiana, and Brian Shaw's a guy that's tied to both of those, you know, to Phil Jackson, to Indiana. Would there ever be a scenario where, you know, he may interview for those jobs if, if they became open, or is he your guys' coach? And, no, he's our guy. Him? I mean, he's, we're, we're super lucky to have him, and, and certainly we'll be protective of um, him in that position. And, you know, I think we, we're, um, we're just uh, – Again, lucky to have him leading this team, and I think uh, other teams would be lucky as well. But fortunately, we're the first ones to grab him. So. Yeah, I, never, I really like what he's doing here, and what kind of the culture that seems to be building is. As you can kind of see from the beginning of the season to the end, kind of how the team got closer as the season wore on. And mm-hmm. you know, I'd like Brian Shaw, Jeff. I think you do as well, mm-hmm. having him here as the coach. And, well, it's a, it's nice to have a good culture around the locker room, and I think it seems that um, after some rough patches in the middle of the year, he's kind of transitioned to a greater ability to harness the, what he needed to harness with these players. And I think they've responded to it, at least from what you've seen from, I've seen from outside. Sure. No. And do you, have you seen the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned the overall lack of patience league wide. And that's, 
that's an absurd number. There shouldn't be that much turnover, and it's it's unfair to put any coach in a situation where he doesn't feel the full support and doesn't feel like he can, through trial and error, get better as a coach. So certainly we'll try to buck that trend, and you know we understand that this is a process that doesn't happen overnight, and the the where we're trying to get to won't be easy by any means, but you can't get there without being patient and being um, kind of being accepting of um, – how hard the road's going to be. And so we will not be one of those teams. <laughs> I was talking to Andy and Jeff. I was, I've missed the uh, 30 for 30 bad boys. I've missed it twice. I'm dying to see it. And Andy said one of his big takeaways from that was you really did see the stability of them. They stuck by their coach. They stuck by their roster. And you're just hitting on that here too. And I know you guys obviously have some moves you want to make with this roster, but that's also important to you as a stability thing. Cause we haven't had stability here, you know, since well, Carmelo since left. It seems military, like. yeah. No, it's, the stability starts obviously with a great ownership and then the next guy's Brian and it's you know we're brought here you know to to um win together and I think it's I'm so lucky to have a guy like that who you can bounce all ideas off of and you can have candid conversations with where there's there's no division in our organization um you'll have coaches in our offices we'll have guys down there in their offices i mean it's just it's really i think the only way that you can happily win i mean you can win other ways but it should be fun too it should be enjoyable and it's unfortunate i think some of the things we saw league-wide this year um, there's a bunch of joy in some of these places even despite you know their winning ways right um now we're transitioning to obviously the nuggets uh have a was it 5.4% chance or something like that to get the a top three spot mm-hmm. in the lottery? You know, and as, you know, Lopez said in his article, you know, mentioning that you're Irish. And I, to be honest with you, if the Irish thing worked, I said this at one point, the Nuggets wouldn't have drafted Rafe LaFrance. <laughs> that, so, I mean, that I don't think that has anything to do with it. But do you th- – will a lot of your off-season uh, plans hinge on – where that draft pick goes oh you know we have we've done a lot of planning up this point where i think we're we're as ready as we can be for the draft certainly there's there's workout process and we'll continue to do backgrounds and talk to people and watch tape and we do uh pretty consistent uh you know bi-weekly free agent planning um and with trade you're always looking um, but until the night of the 20th everything is kind of contingency you know you're yeah. not you're not certain um, what you can put in action, what's real, what's not. So while we've done a lot of planning, it, it becomes real on that night. And then we can really start to um, talk to other teams, look look internally, how, how we can use that pick. Um, so I, I think for sure the, tr- the 20th is probably the real start of the offseason. It really, it, it seems like the Harbinger, we're, we're, we'll be doing an event um, at uh, one, Andy's restaurant, Jake's Food and Spirits, for that night, you know, kind of like, Nuggets haven't been in the lottery since you know, since Carmelo. Carmelo, yep. and no pressure there, huh, Jeff? Thanks. How's <laughs> <laughs> our first ball Hall of Famer? <laughs> well, as long as it's not Nicholas, you just feel like we're yeah. fine. But somewhere in between, <laughs> yes, we'll be fine. Um, but you know, have you, have you thought? You know, I mean, like obviously you have, but I mean, has there been a approach to it? I was like, what if? How many worlds of opportunity would happen if you get happened to fortune into a top three pick? Be, you know, with like such a small chance, I mean, it would be it would be dramatically change everything, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, you know, top five picks turn into um, that, that's where you find the best players. Yeah. Um, so 
it's not a sure thing by any stretch, but mm-hmm. we feel a whole lot better picking one, two, or three than 11, 12, yeah. or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we dream it. We talk about it all the time. God, if we get <laughs> this guy. Wow. Now we could really make a move. Um, and who knows? I, it, you know, we have the odds are, are certainly not with us, but you know, 5% is not terrible. Yeah. Um, and if we end up where we're slotted, there's still a chance to get a really good player. Um, or it's, it's a very attractive asset to be creative with. Now you guys have – you brought a, a gentleman to our Stiffs Night Out um, that I've, I've read on the internet that he's been called a draft guru. He's ran you know, private scouting services. He's done detailed reports on guys. That's Jim Klibanoff, your director of scouting. Tell us a little bit about him and kind of what his process is Listen, with you guys. It sounds like he labeled himself the draft guru. Is that, <laughs> is that, on, is that on his own website? <laughs> this is what happens when you do research yeah. on the internet. So. <laughs> it was in his bio, draft yeah. guru. Self-written bio. <laughs> on wikipedia yeah (laughs) um clib is a great guy uh i think he had most recently 13 nba teams who bought a subscription service uh very intensive um you know draft prep um he he brings a a ton of experience to our group and, and kind of a different um outlook you know he's not a guy that's been within the wall so i think it's good to have creative and fresh thoughts um so he's a he's a beat the bush guy. You know he's the king of trivia, king of you know bizarre information. And, and it, the more that we know, the better. We say, I mean, I've said it a thousand times. Sounds cheesy now, but we want to make informed mistakes. So as long as we know everything going into draft night, and we've you know we've turned over every stone, and we know everything about the kid both on and off the court, we can feel good making a decision. And certainly, Clib is a huge part of that. And there's, I don't think there's anybody in the NBA who, who does more research or does more background. And he has a, a ton of relationships based off his scouting service. And he's just a bright guy, you know, with the law school. He's a, it's always good to have smart people around you. And he's brought a ton to the table. And he's really excited about this, being on this side of the process. So he's pretty fired up. So you guys won him over over 12, 13 <laughs> other teams. Did you drive a dump truck full of money up to his driveway then? Or? No, no. He's just... <laughs> You know, I actually <laughs> talked about a job in New Orleans, um, and he's you know he's talked to a bunch of different NBA teams, and none of the opportunities seem right. Uh, we were lucky that both myself and our tourists are have known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. We're friendly with him, and he's Clib's uh, a pretty fun guy. So the work environment was as important as the opportunity. So you know those um, two things were both here, and, and thankfully it worked out because he's been great for us. You guys have a, a very interesting and kind of a diverse staff, you know, with yourself, <laughs> our tourists who played, you know, internationally, a uh, very famous player overseas and probably could have been here if you would have played in the NBA. You have, obviously, Clib, you were just talking about highly respected guy and, you know, Rafi Juke and former player Jarrett Jeffries. I mean, you guys have a, a very diverse staff and it, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, mm-hmm. kind of how it shakes out for you guys. Yeah, when we go to dinner, we look like a whack pack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. A couple seven footers, almost. Uh, J- Jared and um, Jared and Cliff have a special relationship. It's like Danny uh, DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's <laughs> Twins. The, those guys, they enjoy the back and forth. And two, you you know, two very very unique, but very very informative and, and, and progressive kind of ways of looking at basketball. So I, I love hearing those two debate. It's great. I was, you know. You, you, you and I have spoken about this, but I, you know, my my regard for college basketball isn't the highest in the world. Um, but it's, mo- it's only a feeding ground for the NBA. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but it, yeah, but it sucks. And I, I, my my thing about it has always been, and this goes into scouting, is that with the way coaches are in the in the actual NCAA, they're so like I think always thought 
obsessed with zone and the way they defend that it made it harder to scout in a situation like that than it would be, say, overseas where they're maybe playing a more traditional man-on-man defense. And um, that goes to scouting. Is there a way – does that make scouting a little more difficult when you have to project how a guy would fit when he's not just defending his own and, like, defending a man? No, sure, sure. I mean, you know, certain teams are so zone-centric that um, you'd be hard-pressed to find many good defenders from certain schools because mm-hmm. they're over-reliance on that. Um, and uh, when we always say we're not reporting, we're projecting. So we watch guys. We don't want to have game report. We want to say how, how would his game project at our level? And it's difficult at times due to systems, but you know that's part of the job. Um, in Europe, sometimes the more difficult projection is cultural. Yeah. Um, you know how would this guy acclimate himself? Not just on the court, but off the court. There's been some really good um, European players who came here and they should have made it. They couldn't. They make it because they could never get used to living in. States and playing 82 games, um, so all, all these all these factors are difficult. But I think it's helpful having our collective staff. Where I mean, Jarrett was a lottery pick, and McDonald's All American, and um, Arturis was uh, one of the best players in Europe ever. You know, turned down the NBA a couple times. Um, so I, I think what's neat about our group collectively is when we have those discussions. If I say something or our tourist says something, and then Jerry says, "Well, you know, wait a second. This is this is the experience I had," or our tourist said, "Well, you know, I played in Barcelona. I played in Greece. You know, it's not as easy as you guys think it is right now." Mm-hmm. So I think I really, really enjoy when we're all in a room together talking about a player to hear all these different um, thoughts and opinions, and I know they're all based on just years and years of experience, and it's um, it's an enjoyable way to kind of reach a resolution. You guys have to. Um where am I going? I just lost my train of thought, Jeff. Is that bad? This is great podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're, we're looking at this offseason. I think I added up the other day that you guys might have available two roster spots, maybe three. You know, you have a, a first-round pick. You have two second-round picks. You have a couple of free agents and Jan Vesely, um, as well as Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks. I'm not sure what Nate Robinson and Drell Arthur are going to do. There's almost like eight guys that are battling for two spots. Plus, we hear Brian Shaw saying he wants a, a veteran leader. How important is veteran leadership, do you think, in the locker room? Because we have some people on Denver Stiffs that are like, I think that's a little overrated to have that kind of presence in there. But does this team really need a, a, a big-time leader? And does that have to be a good player? Or can that just be an end-of-the-bench guy that's been around for a while? Yeah, I think we have some guys on this team that took some leadership roles. As well. I think Randy Foy in particular. Um, I think Gallo's got leadership potential. Yeah. Certainly it's difficult when you're not playing. But he, he's, he embraces that role. Gallo... Uh, he would like to be a leader, and I think um, he has some of the traits and attributes that would allow him to do so, specifically his work ethic and kind of his knowledge of the game. Um, I think it's um, – leadership's a, a tough one. We'll, you know, I was with a bunch of guys, GMs overseas, and we were sitting around having dinner, and we talked about um, how few leaders there are. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, got, we were hard-pressed to name four or five. Um, I think what we certainly – need and i don't know if that's in our locker room right now we have to go out and get it is we need people that it really really matters wins and losses and you know the only way that you can ensure you're you're putting yourself in the best position to, to get those wins is you're professional every single day and that's even when you don't feel like being a professional that's you know getting your work in game 74 um and i certainly think randy was was you know kind of embodied that type of guy um but it never hurts to have vets around it never hurts to have guys that have been there and done that now and 
as as much as the voice as any of us can have a locker room, Brian or myself or our assistants. It, there's nothing more valuable when pl- um, players police themselves and hold themselves to um, a high standard. So um, I think there's very few guys out there. If we can identify the right one, he can help us on the court in the locker room, then we'll be aggressive trying to get that guy. Does that have to be a guy that, because we hear, you know, lead by example, but that's one kind of leader. Do you have to have a guy that's a vocal leader that's, you know, if somebody's not doing something right, he's going to get in their face type of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) we can have a conversation in the bar or something about some of the leadership's tough because there's some guys, I think, that I've been around who are leaders who aren't always well-received, and that's kind of the the hard part about it. Um, certainly you have to be around guys who want to be led. And um, I think maybe today's day and age with 24 hour news cycles, the players are hyper sensitive to almost any criticism, yeah. whether it's from their teammates or from a coach. Um, and then if you're lucky enough to get one of those guys who can play and is a vocal leader, then geez, you can never let them leave your locker room. So it's, I think it's unbelievably important I think there's a, a dearth of um, qualified, you know, candidates. Right. Now, is this play into uh, what you had said to Chris Dempsey about uh, roster flexibility, you know, that people would be, you know, you can move to get something that you are envisioning easier than people are thinking? I hope so. I mean, you know, obviously it takes a willing trade partner, um, yeah. but I think collectively – um, if you look at how our contracts are set up, I don't think we really have any albatrosses yeah. um, that we'd have to incentivize if need be. Um, we have the big trade exception. We have our picks moving forward. So uh, we don't have any long-term money that would be you know, overly distasteful to other teams. Yeah. And those three collection of assets, the collection of assets the, between, I think, most, most of not all our guys are on fair contracts, and they produce up to the level of their number. Some. Mm-hmm. We have our draft picks, and then the uh, the big trade exception is kind of a loophole in the CBA that we could potentially get pretty creative with. So, well, I think we have um, you know nearly a full roster. It's not a roster that that would disallow us from being aggressive. And you uh, had mentioned that that you had um, that this past season, and I think uh, most people would say this, but really, truly, kind of elucidate what you think that um having a difficult season like this does and what do you think that improving the roster um is there a balance between overreacting and underreacting is there is there just is there a sweet spot that you can find that where you can make the right move without you know going to an extreme i guess sure no that's a good question i i don't think um you want to make emotional knee jerk uh, uh, trades or or signings, just to um, just because I think whatever we do this summer, hopefully will be kind of with that ultimate goal of of being a team still playing right now. Mm-hmm. And we you know we'd love to get a superstar in here. It, I think the other twenty nine teams are looking at the same guys <laughs> as well. Um, but I, I think we just want to be aggressive. And when you look at how our team is set up with a bunch of guys kind of entering their prime and a bunch of guys w- with the contracts are increasingly coming short term. You know, we're now two three years out with a couple of our guys. Um, I think it's time to be aggressive. And it's it's a neat spot to be in, I think, as a team to have, uh, despite all these injuries, to have Brian's has created a culture, I think, that is going to um, really help us and, and make us um, 
you know, prepared, excuse me, next year after um, all the injuries. And I think it would be a disservice to that, to Brian and to Josh and really that group of guys to um, not be aggressive and not try to, um, you know, put all their, our chips middle of the table and see you know, where we can't be next year. Cause uh, I, I don't think we're, um, we're where we need to be right now, but I watched the playoffs and I don't know these teams. I don't think they're so far ahead of us. Maybe, maybe I'm just looking through rose colored glasses, but it gave me hope. Yeah. I, I watching the first round was eye opening. I yeah. think for a lot of people. So it was kind of, and then, all the teams that were supposed to win wound up winning, right? We didn't really. Well, yeah, but I mean, listen, that's all you can ask for is being competitive, you know, and then giving yourself that 50, 50 chance. Well, hopefully know? we're one of those teams that's yeah. supposed to win. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You, so you did see it that way. You did see that, you know, does it kind of eat away at you a little bit that you didn't make the playoffs this year to see what you guys could have perhaps done against, you know, some of these teams with the way that you, you played at the last couple months. And the most frustrating thing I think was obviously we don't have that marquee guy, uh, we have really good players. But we don't have, you know, a clear superstar. The thing that frustrated me, I think, at times in this postseason was seeing uh, how little depth really good teams have. Um, and I think, you know, our depth would have been tough to deal with in the postseason. And, you know, again, maybe I'm just being overly optimistic. Um, but certainly there's some really good teams, I think, that got, have guys in the rotation that wouldn't see the court for us. And at moments of all these playoff series, you're kind of holding your breath if you're that team. Like, God, we've got to steal eight minutes here with this guy. And when I look at our locker room, there's nobody that I don't feel good about uh, of the guys that play big events for us. And that's that's the one part that was a little, little frustrating, a little bit like, geez, I'd love to see what we looked like. But, hey, we weren't good enough. There's no excuses. And you know, we got to get there to, to see if that's the case or, or we're just being overly optimistic. It's kind of a hard part, too, of making a, a move for a big-time player. When we saw when, when Denver made the Carmelo Anthony trade, you know, the Knicks gave up so much that it really kind of decimated their team. It was a fun team. It would have been, you know, as, as a non-Nuggets fan, it would have been fun to see that Knicks team with Carmelo, with Gallo and Chandler and Mozgov, you know. So isn't that kind of the hard part for you where you're looking at these teams and you think, wow, we, I don't want to give up too much because then we won't have the depth, you know. No, it's hard. Yeah, that's that's probably the most – the the conversation we have the most well you know if you say let's well, how can we get player x and you know you get to it's going to take this guy and that guy and this pick and at what point is kind of your appetite for risk is it a bit too much um so that that's that's the decision we'll have to make at some point hopefully if a deal presents itself that we think can make us better you know you got to give to get uh but you know we like a lot of our guys and it, it won't be easy to part with them and um you know when you have any trade, it's always, you know, geez, this guy, I really, really like him. He's a good guy. He's a good player. And I think the best trades, though, are the ones that benefit both teams where when it's all said and done, you know, nobody won the deal, but each team kind of benefited from it. And um, But it's hard, for sure. It's hard. Well, I think it's oh, – I was just thinking about this. The, the lack of deals at the trade deadline this year and the, the previous year – um, obviously, people were adjusting to the, the new realities of the CBA and all this stuff. But do you find that the the way that people have valued this draft kind of put people, halted people at the deadline, but it could be something that is beneficial now 
because people are like, okay, now their draft is a reality. We're not thinking about, oh, maybe Jabari Parker or, or Andrew Wiggins will be here, or maybe they won't come out. Do you think that it, uh, having the pick as kind of like a, I don't know, a greasing the skids a little can help uh, as far as doing a dynamic trade? Yeah, it's good to finally have a real asset. You yeah. know, just a hypothetical, it's, it's good for for our, all our planning purposes to know this team can have that much cap room and they have this many picks and th- this is where they need to get better and they're really looking for this type of player where you know, we we probably obsessively plan mm-hmm. and then uh, your best laid plans are blown you know out the window the minute the lottery hits and yeah. you know you had a team that's going to have this much cap room and they don't need this and then they go from nine to one and it's a, it's a whole different scenario <laughs> or a big trade happens and you know, all of a sudden the needs of the teams are different um and it, it was it was a bizarre trade deadline i thought I, I was disappointed in some of um some of my colleagues and just how uh risk averse they were yeah um i think it's a weird environment right now where some teams this year in particular just wave the white flag so early um yeah. it's i think it's a bit disappointing um so you can't the, see yourself like you know stockpiling 25 second round picks like the the 76ers uh, <laughs> i was talking about no teams in particular I just, but it's Sorry. um you know it, it was it was weird our last podcast was pre-trade deadline right yeah yeah it was weird i mean it was you know we had a couple of deals in play that were you know not grand in scale that were Railroad it for the the most minor things. The team didn't look up a second round pick, or yeah, um, or they, they were so overly protective of future flexibility at the expense of, at times. I think of um, trying to you know burn the hand. Well, I like the deal that we we made. Uh, I say we, but that you were able to pull out, <laughs> and then because that you know made the best of a bad situation, and I thought that that was that was one of the better moves at the deadline. To be quite honest with you. Uh, specifically, uh, going sending Dre to uh, uh, Andre Miller to uh, Washington. I think that that kind of free, you know, let the air out of the you know yeah, we, the balloon. We, we were trying to find Dre a good home. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a he's a pro and he's a good guy. And and what happened here, I don't think was reflective of who he is. And we spoke to Dre a bunch about it, and obviously um, spoke to his agent a bunch about it. But, our strong preference and the the avenues that we were pursuing was to put him somewhere where he he could play in the postseason, and um, I think a lot of teams um, it, it wasn't easy trying to get something done and where we could feel good that Dre ended up somewhere decent after having such an illustrious career here and playing forever, and it was um, it kind of complicated the deal making a little bit, but I think it was fortunate we got to look at Jan. Yeah. Um, and I thought Jan had some really good moments as he progressed under Brian. I thought he was fifty percent better. Yeah, you know, the two months in with Brian, I thought he started regaining a little bit of confidence. Um, Displayed really quick hands on defense. I saw. Yeah, he was a steel machine. Yeah, yeah, he's a big time defender. He's a, got a great basketball IQ. I, I liked how we used him at the five a little bit. His quickness mm-hmm. um, allowed him to do some things defensively that we couldn't do. Um, and I think he's just a guy that I I told him he was in Belgrade recently. It's um, you're as good as your confidence will allow you to be on the offensive end. Um, so I think he's a uh, he does some good things as an offensive player. Uh, very good passer, very aware guy. But you know the free throw line is is such a big 
a big hole in his game right now probably adversely affects his finishing or, or lack of want to finish when you struggle so much. So um, I'm really happy that uh, it worked out for Andre. I'm happy it worked out for Jan. I think he probably has a renewed sense of excitement about the NBA where he wasn't having it, um, the best of times in D.C. And then it allowed us some um, additional financial flexibility next year. Um, so I think all in all, it was the, the best of a bad situation. Yeah. What'd you think about that other deal you made of, of bringing in? I'm sure you guys looked at other point guards to bring in at the time and you get Aaron Brooks, a guy that I'm sure our tourist is probably familiar with mm-hmm. in Houston. Uh, what did you think about Aaron Brooks's time here? And what did you think about him in the, in the locker room as well? He was great. Uh, we were lucky. We, we were very lucky that Jared played with Aaron. Uh, Noel coached Aaron in, um, in Phoenix and in our tourist obviously from Houston. So Aaron had to waive his no trade clause um, so Jared talked to him. I spoke with him, and I think it was it was pretty cool to see that Aaron had, uh, when we talked to him initially, had really good things about your lot, you know, about Brian and about your guys. So Aaron certainly took a chance on us. It could have been easy for him to stay in um, Houston, um, and he was great. Uh, very very explosive scorer. I think uh, it wasn't too long ago the guy was averaging 19 a game, and and just had an unreal uh, kind of run in the playoffs several years ago. Um, he's been a guy circumstantially that has probably never been able to cash in on his really good play. Um, and I think he came here with the right approach and it didn't come here just trying to, you know, better his value. He came here to try to be part of the team and I, our teammates embraced him. And um, it was funny. He said, and uh, when I, we talked recently, he said the only thing I didn't expect, I didn't expect to play this many minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was gassed a couple times. Um, you know, he was going from not playing at all. He thought he was going to play 25. He had a couple 40-plus. Also playing a mile high, too. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think, a, a risk on his part that that worked out well. And for us, we, we were you saw the games before. Right around the All-Star break, We it was unfair to not just Brian but our teammates to send that crew out there with no one who could play the point, you know, over extended periods of time. I think Randy did a great job. You know, um, trying trying to play both, um, but it was just um, you know we we weren't anywhere near a full deck, and we needed a guy who played that position. And we looked at a bunch of different guys. Uh, we thought Aaron was the best, and uh, we're we're lucky that he took a chance on us. Yeah, I couldn't really see that. I was I was very surprised at you know how good of a distributor he was. I didn't I didn't see his game that way before. I'd only see him and, scoring to be honest with you. That and, and the, all the, every my memory of Aaron Brooks prior to him being here was him scoring. Yeah. And uh, but he already always had that. But I think his, as Nate was saying, his ability as a distributor uh, kind of was revealing. Yeah, he's a really neat guy too. Really very thoughtful guy. Yeah, kind of quiet until you get him on certain tops. Really opens up. And mm-hmm. he, I thought he was. Um, it, it was it was a well needed jolt yeah. for our team. Where certainly um, we weren't able to make a run, but we we finished with a purpose. And I think we played like a team that cared. And that's. A, a huge compliment to Brian, and I think it's just compliment to Aaron. I thought when Aaron got here, there was a sense in our locker room like, "All right, we're we're fine now. You know, we can compete with these teams. We can win some games." And I don't know if that was there prior to the trade. Um, both of those new guys, too, Vesely and Brooks, both pretty snazzy dressers. Yeah. Yeah. Brooks even had some pretty colorful shoes. At They're times. no Russell Westbrook. Brooks is yeah, the best bowler in the league as well. <laughs> best bowler, bowl two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. Yes. Jeez. Missed missed his last up. his lap last pin. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's actually we when I talked to him about the trade, I said like, I heard the real reason you don't want to come here is you want to be the second best bowler on the team, and he, he was like, "Who's the best bowler?" So I said, "Farid." What's he bowl? I said, "264." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I said, what's your high? Two ninety nine. I said, oh. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit. You win. <laughs> you win. Um, speaking of Freed, um, obviously, uh, uh, was uh, Dempsey had uh, reported that you had uh, – or the team had entered into early – Extension talks with uh, with Freed. Well, we'll talk. You know, July one, we can start talking specifics with these guys. Yeah. Um, so we'll explore that for sure. I thought he more than anybody saw maybe the the most difficult early season transition to Brian, mm-hmm. and then those guys really got a good feel for each other. And I'm really proud of Kenneth how much he got better on some areas. I think a lot of people kind of questioned could he get better in, um, and he was great in the last several months. He played at such a high level. Because it really was, I mean, at the, at the beginning of the season, there were times where he was almost being benched in the second halves of games or not playing a lot of second half minutes, and then it got to the point where he was, you know, maybe one of the most reliable post scorers on the team and, and really took a huge offensive role and mm-hmm. rebounding, obviously, he always does well. And, I mean, you saw a ton of growth in his game, even getting more comfortable just taking jumpers. Yeah, no, Kenneth wants it. And I think there's very few guys in the league that, that have that attacking mentality all the time. He really believes himself and really wants wants it for himself and for his team. Then I think uh, as he embraced Brian and what Brian was trying to accomplish, um, he became more and more comfortable and confident. And as the results improved, his play improved. Because I think there was a correlation between all the, the coaching and the, um, the stuff you don't see um, in the locker room. And I'm, I'm proud of Kenneth. And it was, it was fantastic to see how, how – good he was the last several months of the season and it was um it was great just to see a guy who um you know has such passion and such energy um have success on the court do you think that are you still going free let's change the subject you one go more, one more um do you uh do you have like with the benefit of having restricted free agency as a backup um where the team generally has the advantage uh the the, the existing team um do you think that it, you know, even with if you weren't able to, whatever you potentially were able to do, having restricted free agency would maybe having a benefit of seeing a free with a fully healthy roster benefit you as far as being able to see how it extrapolates over a full season with him as far as his numbers and what he projects to do? Well, you know, restricted free agency is one of the um, draft nights and uh, restricted free agency. I think there are two times where it's very team friendly. Yeah. And, um, Certainly, it allows us to um, you know, try to explore an extension and try to get something done, but there's no gun to our head this offseason. Yeah. Um, so we'd like to, to um, you know, always reward good play and hopefully come to some agreement with, with Kenneth this offseason. And, and if not, you know, no, no harm, no foul. Yeah. You're still our player, and we still kind of – can control your destiny to some degree. So I don't think there's a um, there's a, a huge amount of pressure to get something done this offseason, mm-hmm. but certainly we want to be a team that, that rewards guys and a team that if you know, you're know you productive and you're um, doing the things the right way, that you, you deserve to be uh, a guy that we engage in extension talks with. So I think it's kind of a win-win this offseason either way. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that as fans, speaking of free agency, do you think fans and media put too much on, you know, players wanting to go to big city markets versus wanting to go to places that have winning cultures? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, free agency is a toughie. Um, I think you know four or five markets tend to do well in free agency, and the rest don't for whatever reason. Maybe it's self fulfilling. Maybe that 
the media has created those markets as such, and it's hard to break into that you know old boys club of desirable free agent destinations. Um, certainly, if you win enough, you can change that. I think San Antonio has gotten some guys on a discount that they wouldn't have a decade ago. Um, with the way you know media is right now, with the way, how we, the ease of travel, um, to me, it's always kind of puzzling why it really matters. Um, right. uh, Kevin Durant's not in a big market, and he's a, a super superstar. Um, I think you know winning makes your market relevant, and s- certainly there's life issues that you can't overlook. These a lot of these guys have kids and wives, and where do they want to live? I think that's oftentimes underrated, and I think we're fortunate in that regard, and that we have a city that's we can sell and a kind of an organization that we can sell um, if we're ever you know involved in um, you know that level of free agency. But it, there's so many different factors that come into play, um, and I think at times it is overrated that they want to go to this market or that market, you know, the same four or five cities we all hear about. Right. I think players just want to win generally, and I think they'll go where they feel they can win. I mean, I think I always thought that the, the market advantage thing was probably reached a zenith around the LeBron Mello era, right? You know, it was like, but, you know, Miami was never considered to be a, a huge, attractive market until Dwayne Wade got there. And before that, it was kind of like, you know, it was just regarded as a mid-market. I think players just want to win. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think if you create a winning culture, uh, people want to go there, i.e. San Antonio. You know? Sure, and I, but I think – and then there's the – Miami's Miami. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice South place Beach. to live, yeah. We can go for our laps in January. It, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't snow in May. I did remember hearing <laughs> uh, remember Scott Hastings on the radio one time talked about his playing days in Miami and how much it's changed because he's like, it wasn't really a, a great desirable place when I was playing there. Sure. <laughs> no, no. And then the, the, the geographical uh, positives are some cities just – are not thought of as nice places to live, right, wrong, or different. And mm-hmm. every city in this league has really nice places, you know, yeah. for sure. But when you, you put two next to each other, sometimes other cities have a difficult time stacking up. And that's why I think we're lucky where I mean, this city's great. I mean, yeah. it's the weather's great. The fans are great. It's uh, It's got everything you could want in a big city. Um, but it, it's still very easy to kind of – Navigate and yeah. Chauncey Billups always said that he he just had to get people here. You know, you said you have to change the perception. You just got to get people. I think we're Denver. seeing it with our yeah. crew right now. Yeah. Like I said, some of the guys actually every every offseason acquisition is raved about how much they like living here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not just the city, but it's it's a having fans that kind of get it. You know, they understand and they're smart. And it's having um, ownership that gets it. And it's um, you, like guys like you. It's having a there's passion here. Um, and it's uh, it was underrated. Honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I knew I've been to a ton, tons of games here, had a lot of friends that work here, but until you know living here, it, it's it's great. Do you ever get where you're just walking around Denver? Do you get fans that'll come up to you, or are you are you still no. pretty good to be able to walk? And I got one like eighty year old guy and we had dinner <laughs> one time. This never. That's, you know, it was a very nice guy. He goes, I know who you are, and it's, this is getting weird. <laughs> No, he's like, I know who you are, and I have the money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We met on Craigslist. (laughs) No, thankfully, uh, I'm a pretty uh, unattractive guy who can blend in. Um, I look like a a five in Denver, so I blend in with all these other dudes. (laughs) That's pretty funny. But you have, you've liked it here, obviously. Yeah. um, No, I loved it. I think it's, 
like I said, my wife and I, we talk about it probably twice a week. Like when I, when I see the mountains, I'm still like, and I grew up in a city neighborhood in Baltimore, and our mountains were 700 you know, feet, and they were two hours away. <laughs> the mountains, the weather, the people, and I I've, love the fans. I love how um, I, I, keep, I keep saying they get it. You know? And yeah. when we need to be called to task, we should be called to task, but it's not. There's a lot of markets, I think, in this country that just don't have knowledgeable sports fans. And I, I would say Denver's up there with any of them. Just they, they understand sports, you know, whether I'm reading the, the post about other sports. It's, there's, there's some logic to even their criticisms, except for a couple of your posters. But. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be those. Uh, our, uh, our partner, Ross Martin, uh, always says that Nuggets fans are the most passionate fans in Denver. And uh, that's, I mean, I would, I would, I personally would agree, but I'm biased. But I think, I think people learn when they come in. It's like, okay, well, people are invested in knowing about the game and following the team. No, it, it, it's really cool. It's, it's probably the most, besides just how much we've enjoyed living here, probably the most, um, the, the most unexpected joy that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds super cheesy as well but, <laughs> but you know what i mean it, it's i think that's a 70s folk song expected joy <laughs> yeah. anyway <laughs> but that's true i mean the, but we don't have like the nuggets don't have really bandwagon fans other nope. than another fan real fans yeah. like talking to you guys i mean the, the, you guys the awareness the history of the team and you know i know you have this much cap room and this is this is available and what about this guy and i've never had that and uh, I've, I've worked with some great teams and had a lot of fun but it's it's fun it's enjoyable to mm. kind of the, the the awareness level with the a core group of fans is so high yeah because we had we've had fans that stuck around after carmelo came here that were carmelo fans from syracuse and whatnot and but i mean the nuggets haven't been to an nba finals we haven't won a finals obviously so it's it's yeah it's really people that just care about basketball and yeah it's people who just enjoy the game which you know listen that's I no one the the NBA playoffs have been rewarded. Well, the first round was rewarded with some great games, and I think that really got people's attention even more. I think people, honestly, I mean, this is my interpretation, saw that and thought, "This is where the Nuggets can be." And I think people are more encouraged watching it, not discouraged. No, I certainly am. I mean, even the our end of season schedule. I think we had the um, toughest strength of schedule um, over the last six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, I'm, I, I don't want to say that those games mimic playoff basketball, but I was happy that we had we were playing teams that needed it, yeah. and we were playing playing games that were meaningful. Um, I don't think you get much better when you're you're playing teams that don't have any motivation or the throwaway games. So even for our own internal development, that that's a good thing for us, and that was a good thing for us to see where where we kind of stand versus the other, other elite teams and teams that we got to compete with next season. Yeah. Is there any kind of funny stories you can tell us from your first year as a GM that maybe popped up unexpectedly or something kind of fun from the season? Was the one about a point guard and a no? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was hilarious. (laughs) And there was a one where the same injury came up three different times. That one was great. That's Uh, something you can laugh at twenty years from now. (laughs) Oh, I mean, this year was really fun. I mean, I say that you know. Look, things are going to happen. You, you got to have a sense of humor, and you got to understand that as long as you're working hard and you're around good people, you know you hope for the best. Um, shoot, funny things. I'm looking at Tim Gelt trying yeah, to think what's what's, what's, ex- what's right acceptable now. and what's not. <laughs> Tim Comer, can I can I tell him the story about UNDC? Yeah. So I got some buddies who own. Um, this is probably the the 
highlight of our season. We had just beat Philly. The highlight was beating. No, Philly. no, no. We beat Toronto, then Brooklyn, then Philly. Is that right? Oh yeah, that was the yeah the uh, the road trip. The, uh, that, the, yeah, that was probably our yeah. our highest point over five hundred. I'd imagine. You yeah, know, we're getting our ring sized. <laughs> 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 so we um, we beat Philly. Took a train down. You know, I've lived in D.C. for a long time. From Baltimore, I got some really good buddies. Have like a little lounge, uh, two blocks from the hotel. So um, they're nice enough. You know. Whenever um, I'm in town, just come have a couple of drinks for free. We went this night. It was, it was a night at the Roxbury Club night. You know, <laughs> it was bottles and tables, and it was it was wasn't as cheesy, and the music was much better. So if you're if you're in DC, check out Shadow Room. It's a fun place. Um, and People are guys, feverishly writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys, um, you know, were nice enough to give us a table. We're just sitting there hanging out with Tim. Um, I think Kaz was there from the radio. Nick O'Hare, one of our great PR guys. Um, my buddy Steve is the antithesis of most club guys. You know, he's kind of a goofy guy. Doesn't like the scene. He likes to, everything to him is funny. So Steve um, came up with the idea, maybe with, with a little bit of help from me as well, that we're going <laughs> to just keep sending Tim Gelt bottles. <laughs> and Tim's not a big drinker. And I mean, I think, you know. And the bottles, Tim's the only one in the club with a suit on as well. So he looks like a, he looks like a gangster from, yes. you know, some Uzbekistan or some former Soviet Republic, which is not uncommon in this club in yeah. D.C. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so Steve had at one point, I think, um, maybe 10 bottles of champagne with with the sparklers on top brought to Tim and Tim was like, well, this is, wow, what hospitality this guy's giving. <laughs> now we weren't opening the bottles cause we didn't want to waste any money or. Right. So the, um, Steve came to me and said, I'm going to give Tim a bill for $40,000. <laughs> so I said, $40,000 is not believable. You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of keep it within the realm of belief where he looks at it. So the, 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 uh, cocktail waitress came over with a big security guy and handed him um, the check. It was for like I don't know, forty nine hundred dollars. <laughs> so t- Tim starts to chuckle. He starts to laugh, thinking it's a joke. He looks around. No one's looking at him. No one's aware of. And mind you, no one's touched any of the alcohol. I mean, it's just he's looking at twelve bottles of untouched champagne on the table. <laughs> and he looks again. No one's looking at him. No one's laughing. And then uh, this is how good a guy Tim is. He goes to reach for his card. <laughs> <laughs> And at that point, we we bust out laughing. And we said, Tim, what were you thinking? He goes, honestly, I thought it was a joke. And then I thought, I hope they take my card. <laughs> oh, God, I hope I made my last yeah. payment. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, Nick was uh, smart enough to actually have a frame-by-frame pictorial done of this this moment. And I don't know if it's still on his phone, but oh, yeah. hopefully those pictures are destroyed. But it was it went from laughter to just shock to, wow, oh. got resentment to the rest of us. You bastards. Yeah. That's pretty good. And then the, the champagne was, was quickly returned to the back. Oh, no, no, no. You can't drink this. And we, we exited about 10 seconds later. It's a good thing Gelt didn't start breaking the bottles when he saw the bottle. Oh, jeez. I mean, the, the visual of seeing his face, but with just these... It was absurd because I'm, I don't I don't drink champagne. I think we had a collectively about four beers between us. 
that's amazing. Awesome. Uh, well, Tim, we appreciate your time. We're about an hour in, so we'll let you get out of here, get back to work. I'm sure you got some trades to make. Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's an active trade time right now. Yeah, very active. <laughs> very, very. Yeah. Uh, we I did see that Brian Shaw's going to be sitting at the drafts lottery. He's yes, be he'll be on the, the dais, and I'll be in the back. And you'll be in the back, and you're bringing a lucky charm, or are you keeping that under wraps? I'm going to get one of the superhero shirts from uh, Morton. I have uh, plenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Perfect. He's wearing Batman today. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Just for Tim, too. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Well, Thanks, Tim, guys. I appreciate it. We appreciate Thanks, the Tim. time. Jeff, another good podcast, yeah. I would say. Well, an excellent Job podcast. Job well done. Yes. yes. Yeah. We like to applaud ourselves. Yes, we yeah, no, it, it was amazing. One of, these days, one of these days, one of these days, Tim will meet our, our third partner, Ross. Yeah, is, is this person just fictitious? <laughs> yeah. I heard the name. <laughs> He's always got something going on. <laughs> he does. He's always busy. He's always, uh, he wasn't at the uh, happy hour? Nope. He was no, busy. Rossi, yeah, he was busy. You guys have one happy hour you couldn't make it out, huh? <laughs> yes. He was tied up. He was busy. <laughs> as usual. Uh, our, our intern, Renee, didn't even make it down. I know. So. Yeah, she usually brings us coffee. but Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. <laughs> it's a real, real shout-out, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that was Nuggets General Manager Tim Conley. Tim, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be around next week. See you guys then.